Welcome to I Love My Club By with me, your host, Seamus Barry, the podcast that gives you the insight into our local games of hurling and camogie. Join us as we take a look at some of the characters around the county on I Love My Club By. You're very welcome along to this week's I Love My Club podcast. Uh, of course, the podcast that brings you closer to both our uh, local games of hurling and camogie. I'm delighted to say I have a man who, there was an article written about a couple of years back, the man who had it all, the man who won everything, uh, retires for Kilkenny. Of course, that article was back in 2016, and it was about none other than Jackie Turl. Of course, Jackie has won everything there is to win, uh, to win indeed. Uh, he's also won two football Kilkenny titles, something that people might not be aware of, uh, seeing as how he got his name as a, a cornerback in Hurling. But uh, Jackie's won two Fitzgibbons with Limerick. He's also won nine All-Irelands uh, with Kilkenny. Of course, 11 Leinsters, six National Leagues, four All-Stars, two Railway Cups. And of course, with his own club, he's won two Kilkenny tit- or three Kilkenny Hurling titles, uh, two Leinsters and of course, an All-Ireland back in 2005 club. Jackie, you're very welcome along to the show. Thanks very much, Seamus, for having me. You're more than welcome. Of course, I didn't want to say you're famous for being a Little Woods ambassador as well, because uh, I remember saying to my partner the other day, I said, uh, I have Jackie on the show this week. And my partner's from Poland and, you know, wouldn't have followed Harland that much. And she said, who's that? I said, you know, the guy on Little Woods, you always say, who's he? <laughs> that's, that's him. So, uh, you know, look, you're known for a lot. But uh, how's things? How's uh, fatherhood? How's punditry? How's everything for yourself? Yeah, all is good, Seamus. Um, yeah, a busy like life like like most people really. Um, yeah, obviously doing the punditry with RT and that's kind of ramping up now with the league in full swing and championship not too far away. Um, and obviously you speak of football and things like that. We're actually in the throes of our league at the minute now, so we played three rounds there the last three weekends. So we're playing a bit of still playing a bit of football and a bit of junior hurling and and that, but. Yeah, no, all is good. I, I find at the end of my career with the club very much enjoyable. Uh, yeah, there's still a bit of pressure and things like that. But when, when you get to I, I'm in a stage of my life now where really taking part is is probably what it's all about. And being able even to finish a game not injured is great. Uh, just enjoying being able to go up training and things like that. So it's very different for, for 14 years with Kenny. I was just trying to squeeze every ounce that I had out of myself. Now it's just really is a lot of it is about enjoyment. Of course, there's a competitive nature and that never dies in you, but um, just enjoying being able to play still in the twilight of my career. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a very relaxed kind of state of mind compared to, you know, probably the, the bulk of my career up to that point. It's it's an interesting point because Brian Brian Carroll made the same a couple of weeks ago and I was only thinking this last night. I was doing a bit of pre season work with a couple of players and uh it was horrible hill sprints, two hundred meter hill sprints. And uh I remember Jordan had saying to myself, I'm I'm not gonna get to do this very much longer and I was really enjoying it. But isn't it a pity that and maybe it has to be that way that yourself and Brian couldn't have had that mindset back at the start of your career because look everyone like you said when the pressure goes off you enjoy things naturally more but it's such a shame that it's probably ramped up for so long and then it's all of a sudden no one's watching here I can just go out and enjoy this game you know yeah I suppose enjoyment manifests themselves in so many different ways I suppose for me with Kenny the enjoyment was I suppose those various ways walking off a field after emptying myself in training obviously the highs of a big game uh, running out in front of 82,000, winning in All-Ireland and, and the things that came with that. Um, 
but the enjoyment was probably small little fits and bursts over a, a year. Whereas now it's more of a, it's not of a, what would you say, a high of an enjoyment, but it's more of a sustained period of just literally, I remember when I went back junior hurling and our first summer, we played a game every two weeks and I loved it. You were playing in the summer, there was no pressure. You'd be going home from a work on a Tuesday evening You'd have a game somewhere local in Kilkenny. You go down and play it. It'd be really enjoyable, and it'd just be pleasure. You know what I mean? Whereas I think when I played with Kilkenny and we had a big game that Sunday, that whole week I was consumed with eating right, sleeping right, having my gear ready. It was totally, totally OTT and intense. So yeah, it, it's it's a different kind of enjoyment. Um, and you're right, I suppose. Wouldn't have been nice to probably enjoy it more, but. The game is just so intense and so serious now. The enjoyment to a certain certain degree is is probably squeezed out of it. And it comes, it's it's a lot of it is is orientated around the results of the actual game. Um and then when you don't win it, you know, there's obviously that down from it. So definitely now I'm it's it's definitely an awful an awful lot more balanced. It's it's interesting to say the the key word there, enjoyment, because uh, I spoke obviously a lot in detail last year with John Allen and it's something John really brought home in the show the underdogs and just in general about the enjoyment has gone out into county game uh, enjoyment is not there try enjoy these opportunities when you get them and it seems to be and like don't get me wrong the lads that are in the intercounty setup they obviously enjoy what they do they love it they wouldn't do it otherwise but a couple of years ago I suppose there was an article about the game was going into professionalism it's gone beyond professionalism now. Like teams are training six times a week and whether that could be one active day of watching, I don't know, um, looking over analysis and you're working on your own stuff. And like, it's so professional. The element of like enjoyment is amateur. That's what I associate enjoyment with amateur Mm -hmm. professional. Like obviously premier league lads enjoy playing soccer, but they get paid very handsomely. Mm -hmm. And I suppose what I, a long way about asking is, do you ever see the game going into being paid, players being played because of what they're giving up? It's it's no longer amateur. I don't care what anyone says. Intercounty is not amateur. Well, I, I agree with you. It was professional from the point of view, even when I played uh, up to probably 15, 16, considering the volume of hours we were putting in. I suppose what's changed from now to then is the quality of those volume of hours that gone in. Lads are probably... Lifting heavier weights is more scientific, it's more loaded, it's more measured, there's more detail and analysis about lads are probably watching more, I suppose, uh, games themselves on their own time and things like that. So the volume of hours is probably still the same, it's just the quality within that. I don't see it ever going professional, but I do see certain things maybe coming into the game to facilitate players more and give them more maybe more time off, whether that's a, a, an employer giving them maybe, you know, instead of working five standard five hour day or five hour or five day a week, maybe it comes to four days, maybe it's more flexible. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's their tax breaks that they can, that they can give to players and things like that. It's not pay for play, but it's certain incentives that just allows our best players and our, all our GA players that are playing at the top level, do what they do so well. And it's an enabler of it because I think the beauty of GA is the club and the beauty of the club is the amateur status of it. Um, and that needs to be harnessed, harnessed, protected. Um, it's something beautiful in the game. And if we lose that, we would lose a huge identity of, 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 of 
the game and we'd lose control of it if money entered it mm. well entered it entered the GA world well then we lose control of where this could go and that would be a huge concern and risk to to the to the games and to the GA. So that's what it's all about. It's about it's about that club nature. It really is. And and when you're part of a club, and we're very lucky in the GA, here I am, I'm retired from Kilkenny since 2016. Like if you were playing probably in a professional environment, you'd be kind of just thrown to the side. You wouldn't be connected to Anton. I have a club that I can still play for. I can go back and get involved in coaching in that club. I can do administration, from, can do fundraising. So there is that connectivity where you go from these heights, you can kind of gradually phase back into a normal life because professional inter-county hurling is not a normal way of life. It's mm-hmm. too consumed. It's too takes too much of your life. But when you do finish up, there, there, there is a support network there that can kind of bring you back to kind of where you were before you entered an inter-county environment. And I think what's great as well, there's been a couple of initiatives in the last couple of years, there's one in Waterford this year particularly, um, is the social hurling, which is for anyone over the age of 35, non-competitive games just come along. So I know like in soccer you have your over 35s or your fourth division, but it just I think it's a brilliant idea because, like, again very fortunate few get to play inter-county and get to play it for a long time um, and there's a massive percentage of people both men and women that have played club hurling for a long time and again it is a massive part of their life like you said because they probably do fundraising they go to the underage games it's in their DNA and when that stops and you're, you're no longer in a dress room as much as it might be tough for an inter-county player a club player who's played club for a long time looks around and goes am I no use anymore mm-hmm. you know what do I do and when Everyone will tell you, there's nothing like playing. I remember I was injured for three years and I was coaching and I was speaking to my uncle at the time and he was like, are you getting a good buzz out of coaching? I was like, nothing compared to playing. They can't mm. even measure the two up. It's different, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I just couldn't measure it. But the question I was going to ask you is, we're talking about it being ramped up and it's a lifestyle choice and stuff like that. Has the club scene in Kilkenny, senior, intermediate, junior, has it changed much? Like, I see the club scene in Waterford now purely because of Ballygunner's dominance. It's nearly, club scene is at where Intercounty was 10 years ago in terms of what teams are doing, preparation. Like, myself, I have had six training sessions this week already. You know, and like yeah. some of them are active recovery, some of them are looking at videos. Uh, I have trained in the morning again. Like, that's an inter-county player 10 years ago. Yeah. Is it like that in Kilkenny? Because I was chatting to Killian Fennessy, um, who transferred to Bennett's Bridge from the underdogs, and he was saying they're not going back for a good while. Like, we're back three or four weeks already. Mm. I, I would say it has. Um, and I always remember meeting, reading an article about the, uh, the All Blacks a good few years ago, where what they were doing with the All Blacks, where they were bringing back to their clubs the actual players themselves and raising the standard and started getting their players kind of up to a level that and, and get educating them like and I, I I always think when I was playing with Kilkenny I remember lads from my club kind of starting to get into weights and asking me oh what programme are you doing with Kilkenny and can you send it on and can you get you know and that was dragging the standard up unknown to myself so yeah it, it definitely is the, the, the club scene is probably it's probably not far off when, when I finished with Kilkenny as regards an S&C point of view I mean every club now has an S&C coach mm. every club now is has a, a a nutritionist or a dietitian or some sort of a network where they can rely on and 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 go back to and get some sort of education. So it's it's definitely in the kind of 2013, 14, 15 mold really. 
I suppose the split season has given the club a bit of breathing space at the start of the year where there's not this initial, right, first week of January, lads, we need 40 lads back in, 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 in the field. But where our club is at the minute is they're back kind of um, maybe doing one collective session a week and they're all doing their own gym programs. But as I was saying to our, a, a lad in the club, every young lad is in a gym now. They're either a member of a gym, they're in college, so they are training religiously the whole year round. And I suppose it's just in the club thing, then you just need to bring them all together and make sure that they're doing all a universal gym program, that they're all singing off the same hymn, same hymn, hymn sheet and the same with their S&C point of view. So although we're not fully back, everyone is training, everyone yeah. is doing their own thing, everyone. And there's there's accountability with, you know, there's there's apps and there's WhatsApp groups and there's S&C guys that are managing loads and things like that. So yeah, to your point, it is where the inter-county scene was probably maybe 10, ten years ago, really. Um, it's good for the game, but also it's it's to manage that. And like, there's not going to be championship played in Kilkenny until probably July or so. That's that's still a long way away. We're still only coming out of February anyway. And guys are coming back. Like, there's no one really coming back with huge pig bellies and arses yeah, like the ones yeah. ago. So it's um it doesn't take long to get lads up to speed. It doesn't. And like, look again. I've I said this the other, the other day in a chat with Jamie Wall. Like. I'm not complaining about the amount of work. I'm really enjoying it. I'm not going to get to do it for much longer. I just, it gets to a point where, as you said, like, can it be manageable if you have, like, if anyone does any kind of shift work, they can't play hurling. If if anyone is, say, you know, if they're college, you have to talk to them and say, right, are you playing with the college? What nights are you down? Are you able to come down? And I suppose, as a manager, you always want... I suppose everything out of your players to try give you the best opportunity to win, but sometimes, like as a manager, you have to look at it and say, "I've had this lad for seven months. He needs to go on a holiday. He needs to do this." Mm. Like I think the the big thing that that always drives me crazy is the drink ban, right? You always hear say, and it doesn't. In fairness, it's not really mentioned anymore because everyone knows what the level fellas are at, so they, they don't bother mm. jeopardizing it. But like you'd hear teams say, "Ah, Jesus, we're on a drink ban," like. As you said, fellas are trained all year round, so they're looking after themselves. And if they want to go off and have a drink, but I think if they want to go off and have a drink, maybe say you do a six-week block and you say, right, lads, weekend is free, that's years. You want to let your hair down, go out as a team, you want to go off with your missus, off you go. Come back, we'll train again for another six weeks. We'll take a break, we'll go for championship then. Instead of this constant mainstay, mainstay, where you almost have... If you walk into a pub in a local village, someone's like, geez, you see Jackie went into the pub last night, lads? What's mm-hmm. going on there? Like, yeah. again, the amateur status is still in the club, but, like, it's so funny. I heard someone say recently to myself, um, I was walking past the Chinese in passages, someone said, you're not going in there, are you? And I was like, if I am, so what? Like, yeah. you know, and again, this is January. So, yeah. like, yeah. And, and, and like, I'd be a fringe player in my senior team. Like, I'm, yeah. I am a fringe player. I'd be lucky if I play senior this year. Um, and like, I, I have no illusions about that. Just purely because my body has failed so many times on me. <laughs> but um, it's it's just I find it crazy. Like, and of course, like you you were so dominant in in that period back in the two thousands, the two thousand and five up to about two thousand ten. It, it was just crazy your dominance, and like. I think people get carried away in Watford because they see Bally Gunner on this pedestal and they try, right, we need to do everything they're doing plus 10. And if yeah. we do that, and like at the end of the day, 
even if you are as fit as him, your hurl is not going to be the same as him because yeah. all you're focused on is your fitness. So I think we get carried away. But again, look, I'm not complaining. I absolutely love it. I, I won't be doing yeah. a podcast about it if I didn't. But um, yeah. to take you back to that period during 2006, 7, 8, were you aware, and I suppose in in the in the know and in the how of, of how that team operated, were you aware just how good that team was? Because I regard that like I was I done the All Ireland final last year and I, I said with Michael Lester that Limerick were comparable to yourselves. Not on the same level, but comparable. But I I think that team, maybe six to ten, was the best team we've ever seen in Hurl. Yeah. I, I, we definitely weren't, well, I as an individual, I wasn't aware of how good we were. I was aware of what we were doing and some of the wins and how powerful we were and the level of competition within it. I suppose Brian had that amazing ability of keeping us all on our toes, keeping us all grounded, but keeping us all with our heads down and not kind of looking around going, oh, we're doing something special here, getting ahead of ourselves too much. So it, it was only, it was probably only when we started and this sounds kind of bad, losing in 10 and 11, 12. I know we won all Ireland, but we do losses. We had bad loss to Galway. We kind of go, right, we're probably slipping here a bit. You know, can we squeeze more out of it? Where, and then you kind of realise, Jesus, like for four years there, we were utterly so dominant. And then when you really retire, you, you, you look back. Now, you do hear people talking about you and things like that, but you're obviously, it's, it's the Irish GA thing. Ah, you keep the head down and you keep plowing away. We, 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 I suppose what we had was, no matter who we played, whether it was league, champion, whatever, we fully believed if we kept our head down and had a block of two or three weeks, we trained as hard as we possibly could and we, we were mentally and physically ready when we turned up to the game, we would beat anyone. That if we played them seven days a week, we would beat them seven days a week. Mm. That There was no doubt within our mind at all we were the better team. The only thing that would beat us is if we allowed our mindset to to drift a bit if we weren't fully focused on who we were playing. If we hadn't the proper preparation done, we could be beaten. And we've mm-hmm. seen examples of that. And there were good lessons for us to learn, but we definitely had that, that inside belief as an individual, as a group, and as a management team that if we do all the things right within within our control, we'll beat anyone. Um, and and as, as, as you do that more and more and be more and more successful and beat the same teams that were kind of... Con- with us more and more you became stronger you became more your confidence would grow and you almost felt like a bulletproof no matter what it was and so that was kind of it it was only in latter years where you stepped back and going god what we did was really special and you kind of look at the detail of the years and what we won and the margin we won and how teams tried various different things and how we always seemed to have the answer it was only kind of when you reflected on that that you kind of realized it and then it's kind of you look at what Limerick doing when people are comparing them and how dominant Limerick are and they're very, very similar to what we were as well. I suppose mm. those kind of compliments that you kind of go, God, we we did something really special for those years. With, with that environment, like during the period, the span of four years that we're saying, was it hard? Like, obviously the start in 15, I imagine the competition was relentless, but you obviously have a panel 26, 30, 35 that people don't see that don't maybe talk out during Championship Day mm. or whatever. Was it hard to keep them lads motivated or, like you said, like playing the league, sometimes, you know, you make changes and stuff. It almost seemed during that period, no matter who got that Kilkenny jersey, as cliche as it sounds, you were going to have to either rip it off them or they were going to die for it that day. Like, Yeah, I suppose the couple of things in it, I suppose the first thing was 
Brian had he he was like, I don't care for a settled team. I don't care about anyone having to play. All I care about is a settled spirit, work rate, and desire. Now a lot of managers would say that, and it's about the panel and all that. But would you back it up and bring a guy in that's not less known? Would you drop a big name? Would you do that? Brian would and did, and we've seen so many examples of you know, Wally Wells coming in in 12, literally yeah. not on the panel five weeks ago, comes in, plays an all-earning man in the match. Kieran Joyce came in from nowhere. He brought lads in from the wilderness and dropped big names as well. So everyone kind of knew, if you're not throwing the line here, if you're not, you might not you might be playing the best of hurling, but if you're not fronting up and showing the right body language and commitment to the cause, or if there's nothing else messing going on outside of, outside of your training, you'll just be done away with. And someone else will come in. And you know what? You won't be even sitting in the subs. You could be just dropped. And Brian was very lucky in that he had his 30, but he also had probably another 10 or 20 lads around the county that seen what was going on and were banging down the door to get to get in. And we had successful under-21s as well. So that's great and all, but Brian was able to manage that and keep us all on our toes. And, you know, if you got a chance, you, you knew if you were number 28 on a panel, if you were going out on a train and, maybe two weeks from All-Ireland semi-final or whatever, and you were, say, a cornerback, and you weren't really getting your game. And if you were marking an Eddie Brennan, if I take this lad down and I follow him on another good training session and maybe do a good job at Henry, I could get a crack out here, you know? Mm. And Brian knew that, and we knew that. And I remember playing in league games where I'd play well for 50, 55 minutes, maybe taking off then to give someone else a go. And for those 50 minutes, I'd be looking going, Jeez, the lad that gone in there, he's doing it. It could be John Dalton, it could be anyone. Yeah. Be, you know, and, and I know going home, God, I, I did all the right things today. I prepared well. I played a reasonably good game. But still, you'd be worried. You'd be going to train and choose like, well, I have a point to prove. This could be in a training in, in February or March. And everyone was like that. And when you have that kind of environment, it's a special environment because everyone is, as you said, dying to rip the jersey off the next lad. It's so interesting to hear because obviously everyone always heard the rumours coming out of Kilkenny. Kilkenny don't play challenge games. They just play themselves A versus B. Brian has no whistle, stands in the middle, off you go. And it's like, and you're right, most managers will always say, and I, I've experienced it myself, to come in and say, right lads, it's all about the panel, don't care about blah, 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 15, whatever. And then, like you said, it gets to about a week before a championship and this 15 is nailed down and that 15 plays all yeah. six championship matches. And I think it's it's one of the things that you really respect about Brian Cody. I was at a sports convention a couple of weeks ago and he was talking at it and he said, you know what? Everyone always looks for, I suppose, when someone's successful, they look for, give me the secret recipe, give me the magic, what was it? Yeah. And like Brian, the same as yourself, he echoes it. He just said, hard work, show up, right attitude, body language and back your players to be able to do what they have to do on the field and give them the confidence to be able to do something. And I suppose with that then, Brian believed in his own ability to bring in Wally Welch, to bring in Kieran Joyce, Paul Murphy, you know, Paul Paul Murphy seemed like he came out of nowhere. Obviously, Paul was was there for a while, but, um, you know, Richie Reid was knocking on the door for a long time. Um, you know, same with both Murphys, Allen and... Um, uh, own on goal like they were around for a long time and people were well I suppose people within the GA knew they were there in the scene but other people didn't but for Brian to be able to to do it it's kind of the only comparable I have for Brian Cody is Sir Alex Ferguson because there's not many like in any walk of life in any successful mm. nature like you know that there's not many because 
players change this is really interesting thing about sport like that you could get injured in the morning I can retire I get a new job I go to New Zealand Brian is still there so then like that say crop of players go they retire mm-hmm. and he, like the biggest compliment I could give Brian from the All-Ireland Final is how close he got Kilkenny to Limerick. I know mm. that doesn't sound like it's a lot and people might say they didn't win. But you have to remember, as you said, Kilkenny haven't been dominant the last four or five years. It's been Limerick. It's Their cycle has come along. And how close he got that. And people say Limerick were comfortable in the end. I don't care. If you win the All-Ireland Final by three points, two points, you're not comfortable. Mm. You can't be comfortable. It's a strike of a mm. ball. But it just shows what he had and obviously that just resonated to you all the time like yeah and I suppose if you the Alex Ferguson comparison like him he probably brought through four or five different teams within that cycle of 24 years maybe more you know if you probably look at he evolved through different tactics and game plans whether it was Cork's running game Tip's expansive space in the forwards Clare came with a different style Dublin came in 13 so he, he met all those head on. He also looked at the Limerick thing, which he try, was trying to crack at the end and brought the team so close without any really success at under 21 or minor level, you know, and just squeezed an unbelievable performance out of that Kenny team. And you think Richie Reid was sub-goalie a couple of years ago and he was centre-back a linchpin. You even think, like, TJ Reid took three years, good and all, and TJ Reid's probably one of the greatest orders ever. He took three years to break into that 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 team was the way that Brian managed him. So he was able to leverage all that so well. Like, like you're talking about a settled team and a settled spirit. JJ, Tommy and Henry were probably the three that if they're fit, they just play because yeah. they're just once in a lifetime <laughs> generation players. He'll never admit that, but you kind of know that and you kind of go, I'm okay with that. These three lads <laughs> are just, you know, uh, I understand that. But still they would train as hard as anyone. It, it, it wasn't as if that they got away with anyone, but there was just that kind of understanding. But, like, I remember if we were training at 7 o'clock and Henry would be out hitting, freezing, hitting balls over the bar, maybe quarter past 20 past 6, and you might trot on the field maybe at 20 to 7, and the sweat would be rolling off Henry. And if you're there going, he's hurler of the year, probably one of the best hurlers ever. If he's out 20 minutes before me practising, surely I... And Brian would have no problem driving that message home. Mm. You know, so that raised the standard. The next night to be a couple more out, maybe half six before you knew it. Lads were in there quarter past six and nearly out before Henry, you know. So he was able to see things <clears throat> and use it to his advantage of increasing the standard of, of the player uh, the player and the, and the panel. It's it's interesting because I, I, I heard a couple of years ago about Paul Murphy, that <laughs> Paul Murphy used to show up extremely early to training um, because <clears throat> something actually you referenced before about your own self when you spoke about us with the underdogs and you kind of done yourself an injustice I feel because you said that you weren't the best hurler or natural hurler and you worked on your strength and your physique and and you did 100% your your game was based around strength physique man marking and you were excellent at it but like looking at it Paul Murphy kind of story was the same Paul showed up early he bulked up on weights he bullied people out of the way all within the rules of the game like but they weren't the greatest hurlers and you know they showed up early and I think you don't get to play with Kilkenny for one, two, three, four seasons. You don't get to win nine All-Irelands, 11 Leinsters, four All-Stars, and, you know, you were physical. Like, you were unorthodox. You switched your hands to take a cut. You hit freeze off your right-hand side, or off your left-hand side, sorry. You scored two points in championship over the years, which people don't realise. Like, you could hurl. 
Like you, you aren't just a fellow who showed up with a hurley, like. Yeah, no, look, obviously I, I, I could hurl and I, I had a reasonable skill level. Like, you, yeah, as you say, you don't do what you do. I suppose we're probably looking through the prism of you're playing with JJ Delaney, Tommy Welsh, Shaw Fitz, Henry, Richie Hogan, you know, lads that could make the ball talk. So I suppose when it's probably you're, you're, you're always comparing yourselves because you're coming up against these lads. And I'd see them lads, you'd be marking them in training to do stuff and they'd nearly take your breath away and you're trying to block them and hook them. That's <laughs> it. So I suppose you're, you're, you're probably just the standard is, is so high. Mm. Um, and really, I suppose it's, it's, yeah, I, I suppose my role, our role was always get the ball and, and give it to someone that can do something or score with it, really, you know. And I suppose you kind of go into that mindset of, and I didn't mind that, you know, you're you're kind of, you're a defender, you're there to stop lads, you're there as an enforcer and that kind of a thing. And I suppose I didn't mind that at all. I knew my role as everyone did, whether you were able to hit the ball over from 100 yards, it started with an unbelievable desire and work rate. And if you haven't got that, you wouldn't be there to stick the ball over from 100 yards like, like the lads can. Mm. Um, but I suppose we we kind of really, really grounded ourselves with what we were about. And we were, yeah, we were about all amazing things and all that. But one thing we were really, really strong on, Brian was always efforts. We will never, ever, ever be bullies. And if we yeah. are, we need to have a long, long look at ourselves. And Brian would always say, if there's bullying to be done, we'll be doing it. And mm. that's really what it was all about. And how you how you kind of built that and made sure that you wouldn't be is that you would bully the, the shit out of each other in training. You yeah. really, really would. And you, like, what I loved about it is you had the best of hurler coming in on an average lad and, you know, it was down to bullying and things like that and whoever had the ball really could make could make things happen and things yeah. like that. But, you know, like our trainers, they used to be vicious, you know, they used to be vicious but they were great and we loved them. We really did and, like, we used to you know, and, and it, would, it wasn't like you turn the ball and you'd have 70 minutes of hurling. It could be it could be three sets of 10 minutes. It could be two sets of maybe 12 minutes. Sometimes we used to do this thing where Mick Dempsey used to work out the average ball. The average, the ball is in play for an average, I can't remember what it was, a minute 50 or two minutes. You could do 10 or 12 of those. Mm. But for that two minutes, it was savage. And you you just hounded, you hounded your man or hounded the ball. And, and that was the way, way it was. And I remember... Remember in 11, we were prepping for, 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 for Tipperary and I was man-marking Larry Corbett in, in the final. And we'd never kind of really done this before. And Brian had said, look, Jackie's going to follow Larry and Larry isn't going to stay in corner. He's going to be everywhere. So what they did was to manipulate that and to get used to it. And it was more to get used to the full back line that I'm not going to be there. There's going to be a hole at probably mm. at right corner forward. So I used to mark John Mulhall for maybe, so I think we were doing three sets of 10 minutes. For the first 10 minutes, I had John Mulhall and just told John Mulhall, take me everywhere. Then the second, we took a break. The second set, 10 minutes, to put someone else in and give John Mulhall a break. And then the last 10, 10 minutes, put John Mulhall back in again. And I'd say I just ran, ran, ran. And I'd say I touched the ball maybe twice in maybe half an hour. I went home absolutely wrecked. And I was just going, what did I just do in training? And I just ran, I never, you know. But it was more about, Get me ready for that kind of aerobic demand. Get me in the mindset of there's a ball there. There's loads of people fighting for it. I'd normally go in and help. You need to stay out. You need to yeah. find Lar. You need to find out, you know, find out his patterns or runs, which I did. And he never really went in for the contact. He never went into the rooks. He would be on the peripheral. So it's getting me used to that and kind of JJ used to that. There'll be no one corner back beside you to get used to Whoever was wing back that day, I can't even remember. There's going to be no cornerback probably beside you, um, and uh, it was kind of just getting the 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 the, the use of that that kind of a scenario. But um, 
Yeah, that was kind of when the tactical kind of things came in. But then Brian Femsey's kind of was, we don't do tactics. We kind of, we do just <laughs> you know, something way about it. It's, and you know what? I've, I've always said this and, and people have said sometimes I'm mad. Uh, the, the most horrible word in Harland, sweeper. Um, ye brought that in. I don't care what anyone says. Ye just done it subtly for years. Ye weren't out now two men in your full forward line, but by God, did ye filter back. And, you know, it's, again, Limerick do the similar style at the moment. They don't just leave one man on his own. They just work. They filter back off the ball. They filter back. Whereas I suppose... Davy and, and other uh, teams, Wexford, Waterford, Clare, made it so obvious by blatantly just having Stephen Bennett standing on the edge and you have 40 fellas down behind him. Um, yeah. But he, he definitely started it the subtle way. So uh, when Brian Cody says he doesn't do tactics, it's like saying, <laughs> I don't know, I don't drink water or something because it's it's, <laughs> it's nonsense. Um, during your career, obviously you named Lardair, right? And I was actually, it's its a very interesting point because I was speaking to Christy Heffernan's son last night. And Christy Heffernan's son is a big man, David. He plays with us uh, with Passage Senior. He's about 6'3", he's 101 kg, and there's not an ounce of fat on him. He, now he's lean he, he's Christy but mobile put it that way <laughs> and, uh, he's not a sight uh, you'd want to see coming in if you're a cornerback or fullback. But um, he is a unit. And he said to me last night about trying to get, being his size, trying to get used to moving, say, you know, sprinting off and like straight runs are grand. And I said to him, if I was a forward, and I am a forward obviously, but if I was a back, best thing I can do as a forward is stand still for that back. Like if the ball is not coming to me, like you said, or I'm not a player that goes into rooks, I hang on the edge or the peripheral because I'll take a chance I could sniff out a goal. Well then, during that period where the rocks are going on, I should be running you ragged. Why should I let you have a free, easy shift at it? You know, mm. and that's, that's what I was trying to say to David last night. Your strengths might be catching the ball and taking a fell on. What do you do for the other 58 minutes when you don't have the ball? You mm. know, does your guy come mm. off the field and go, that was handy now, I'm going to go home, put my legs up. Jeez, I didn't yeah. do that. You know, why, why would yeah. you give someone an easy run of it? But um, I suppose when you mentioned Laird Air, who, who for you... I know, like, you marked the lads in training and stuff, but outside of that, was there anyone, not that you feared, but you were like, like, for example, I remember asking Noel Connors this, and he said Damien Hayes was just a nightmare. He said he was just a terrier. He just never stopped, like. Was there anyone in particular, or any number of players that you would have looked at, say, maybe from a point of view of not stopping all day, or, you know, someone like a Bubbles Dwyer who just had two wrists made out of silk, like? Yeah, I suppose the, the challenges of the corner forward varied so much. Like I think of the kind of profile of players I marked, and I marked Damon Hayes a few times, and he was a live wire, very, very, very quick, very uh, dynamic, very physical for a smallish lad. And um, if you think of him, I think of Ben O'Connor and the speed and the wrists he had. I think Owen Kelly, and there was magic in his wrists and what he could do. I think of John Milan. Um, uh, for me, it was always a different challenge. Like John, like John was unbelievable. Like the lad I had all the time was Owen Kelly. Uh, I know Owen re- really well because he came into Kieran's in fifth year, so I, I knew him and I played against him a good bit, played with him. But when I marked Owen, uh, it wasn't the most mobile guy, so he was probably one of the one times when I had the legs of a lad to keep up to him. Mm. But when he got the ball, um, he just had such risks that you would think you would have him blocked and he would just be able to step back or just create this small bit of space. 
and be able to wrap this ball from 50, 60 yards on the sideline over the bar. He just had unbelievable wrist. And I always remember hearing a story <clears throat> afterwards that I've kind of mentioned from time to time. And I can totally allude to is that Owen Kelly, when he get the ball with his back to the goal, I'd say I'd be right up on his back and say, I have this lad this time. And he'd be able to shift to the left or right and whip the ball over his shoulder, over the bar without kind of looking. And I remember thinking to myself, how was this lad able to, I just put down to pure genius, and it was. I remember he, reading an interview with Brendan Cummins before, where Brendan Cummins asked him about that going, Brendan, or Owen, if you have your back to the goal, how do you know where the goal is? He goes, I look down the other end of the field and I see where the other goal is, and I, I, I'm able to work off the uh, coordinates of that. Jesus. <laughs> That's a whole different level of <laughs> I said, he's actually looking at the far goal to see where that is, and he knows where the, the goal is behind him. And he's able to work off. I said, how are you meant to stop that? So, like, I had me fair battles with him. And, <laughs> and the thing I loved about Owen is that if you wanted to go toe-to-toe in hurling, he'd do that no problem. If you wanted to give it to him physical, he'd give it back to you every bit and a little bit more, you know. And, and like, we'd do the bit of verbals. But he'd know me and I'd know him. And we'd, we'd end up laughing if I was telling him, would you go ahead, Kelly, you're betting you're too old. And, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd be able to give it back. And, and we'd know we wouldn't get to each other because we just knew each other too well. But... I always found Owen Kelly extremely, extremely difficult because other guys, you know, if you're there, you're there, you'll get a hook or a block, you'll put him off. You'd be there with him and he just, you'd be able to fashion a little space on or before you know it, it's over the bar and he's trotting back into the corner and you're kind of going, Jesus, how did he put that over, you know? I think I think it's a fair reflection in terms of, like you're saying, maybe he wasn't the most mobile or, or fastest on his feet. And another player comes straight to mind from my own county is Paul Flynn. And they're, they're these type of guys where you say, I'll beat them in a foot race all day, but it's a jink or a turn. Like at the moment for me, probably looking at the Waterford team, Desi is similar, but has pace. But Desi... Desi just does these things. Obviously, he was a professional soccer player and he knows how to run and run at straight lines and running off at angles. But when he steps, like I, I've seen lads in Waterford Championship mm-hmm. be put on their bum and they haven't even been touched. It's just purely he <laughs> stepped and you're like, I have him. And then you're going, where has he gone? gone yeah. And like I remember Paul Flynn being the same. And, but I remember Owen Kelly, and I, I'm, I should say Owen Kelly a tip because I don't want to offend any other Owen Kellys out there. <laughs> but uh, I remember Owen Kelly a tip against Cork, exactly what you're on about. But he got a goal. It was a bullet of a goal on on Don Logue. Don Logue had no helmet at the time. This was before 2010. And uh, he did back to goal. Everything looked grand. Remember that. Yeah. Uh, and he jinked. And I, I think, um, what's his name? Yeah, Gavin. Brian was, Murphy, was it? Brian Murphy, yeah. yeah he, yeah. Came, he came through to block him. Yeah. And Kelly just jinked. And Murphy was gone, and he just turned mm. and hit this shot, and I went in top corner. And Don Logue was—he actually jumped out of the way of it, yeah. and he got up and he just looked at Brian Murphy, and Brian Murphy just looked back at him and said, "What do you want me to do?" Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, I remember that goal. That was down in Parky Queeve. Parky Queeve, yeah. yeah. There were certain lads, and you're right, Desi, that they could—they could actually kill you with one step mm-hmm. and create that separation. That's what Desi has it. Owen Kelly has it, and yeah, when when you couple that with an absolute unbelievable skill set finishing left right power you name it he was oh man he was one of the greatest hurdles tip ever produced really um and he was he was a nightmare but this is how that i loved marking him from the point of view of i knew i would have to extend myself and be at my best to just maybe break even with this lad or some way contain him so i loved how it pushed me out my comfort zone completely um, and that might sound mad going, you love marking on Kelly. I didn't love marking him, <laughs> but I love how it challenged me to, to mark him, really. I think, um, I think that's a measure, though, of 
that's one thing I always see with intercounty players. You might not necessarily see it. Like, say, for example, I'm going training tonight. Noel Connors is at training. And I'm like, I want to go on Noel. Nine times mm. out of ten, I don't want to go on Noel because he's just going to kick me around the place. And it's not yeah. going to be enjoyable. But I suppose that's the mindset of an intercounty player is, right, where's the best player in the field? Give me him. I learn yeah. off him. I want to challenge myself. And I suppose that's a growth mindset for anybody, whether it's outside of work or sport or anything. But it really is that we do like to take the easy road sometimes. And you might go train and say, you know what, I'll go on Jimmy there and I'll score four or five points to be grand. But in Ooh. reality, you're probably better off going on Noel Connors 10 times out of 10. Like, Yeah, you are really. And sorry, one that I kind of left off the list, and I I actually hated Mark and this guy. And when I see him come to me corner... I hated Mark and Aiden Foley Taggy. Yeah. He was one lad <laughs> I could I, I, I could never handle. I could never handle Was it the hands? Ten, ten times he got the better of me. Seven, eight, I just couldn't I, I just I just can't mark him. I physically just can't because he has unbelievable movement. He he runs probably one of the most smartest routes going. He's so ambidextrous. Like Taggy is Right hand on top, but changes to a left. And I said this to myself. I said, Taggy, I, I'm trying to hook and block you. And I know you don't even know which hand you want to do. <laughs> How am I meant to? He goes, he goes, I know that. So I said, How am I meant to predict what you're meant to do when you don't even know what you're doing? And like, I just, I just couldn't. I kind of then got into a mental block where when I see him coming out, oh, I said, Jesus, this lad, I'm not going to help for this lad today. So... But, uh, yeah, so Taggy's probably probably one of the most difficult opponents I ever came across. It's it's mad because, the, like, the minute you say it, the image I have straight away, very similar to Walter Welch, off the back foot, throwing yeah. the ball up, and you're there going, how is he going to strike this? <laughs> like, how, how how is he going to make contact with the ball? Because hands are just all over the place. Oh, um, I remember on holidays before we played tennis, and he was on one side and the other, and you hit the ball... He'd hit, the, he'd hit it back with the racket in one hand, then he'd already be able to throw it over. He just had one of those lads, see, it was just, I was like, I remember looking at him going tennis, going, ah, that's why I can't mark in training, because you're just, he's one of those lads, he just hands everywhere. But, um, you know, great, great lad, Taggy. He, uh, he certainly wasn't. Um, I suppose you mentioned earlier on about uh, what Brian brought to that Kilkenny team, or to Kilkenny in general, and I suppose what you learned, and you said earlier about going coaching in your own club. Is it something you would ever, like, obviously I know you're doing pundit work at the moment, you're a Littlewoods ambassador, you're still playing club, of course, Jewel at the moment. Is Do you want to go in man, into management? Because a lot of people say, like, regardless of who you are in the county player, ah, should there be a manager when they finish? Mm. Um, it is something I want to get involved in. I, I really do. I, I find myself, I, I look back at my hurling career with Kilkenny and for 14 years, I think particularly kind of maybe for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 of it, I was a raving lunatic. I mm. My life was consumed with hurling and Kilkenny hurling from the minute I woke up in the morning till I went to bed that night. That night. And I actually feel when I retired, I was actually, I retired and, and I kept it going at a high level for, senior with the club for three or four years after that now and I, I actually was tired and exhausted mentally and I just kind of need four or five years to kind of play a bit of junior and kind of go from kind of sixth gear back to second or third it is something I want to do but I'm just not ready for it and I, I, I speak to a few lads you know and lads have gone straight into management I speak to McFenley there recently like he has the book he's passionate about it. he loves SNC mm. he loves management he loves coaching and all that I don't have that 
bug as much as he does right now. Um, but it is something, and it probably will come when I stop finishing uh, hurling completely, which is probably re- relatively soon. Mm. Um, and when I do that, I definitely will. I get, fo- I, I will get involved. What that look like, I don't know, but I, I would definitely like to get involved in my own club. Um, and see where it goes from there, Seamus. But I don't have a kind of a clear pathway as going, I want to be a manager, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. Um, I'll finish up Ireland, I'll see what comes my way. I'd, I'd love to get involved in my own club, obviously, and we'll, we'll take it from there and see them. Would you see, like, obviously, okay, you mentioned Mick Dempsey, um, of course, absolutely genius of a man when it comes to Ireland. Um, you mentioned Brian Cody. Like, I actually differentiate nowadays between a coach and a manager because you see it with John Coyley, Paul Canark, you've seen it with Mikey Beavins, Liam Cahill, uh, uh, Franks, uh, who's down in Ballygunner, you know, Darrow Sullivan's manager, Franks does a lot of the actual hurling work. Mm. Would you see yourself as going in as a hurling coach? Or, I, I, I know the answer, well, I think I know the answer in my own head, but would you see yourself as a manager to manage people or a coach to actually coach hurlers? I would say I'd be more of a... Um... I'd say initially I'll be more of a selector, but I I don't think I'll be a coach. Coach, I think I'll be more of a manager. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't be up in the middle of the night thinking of drills or <laughs> I don't. To be honest, that'd be kind of a nightmare for me. I wouldn't like it at all, really. Uh, so I think I think it'd be more of a managerial selector role than an actual. And and lads love that coaching stuff. They really do. It's something I'd love to be really passionate about. <laughs> moving cones around and lads from A to B and all that kind of stuff. And and we have a, we've had a few lads in our in our club like Seamus DeWire is an extremely good coach, Chad DeWire's brother from Leash. And I'd see him doing a drill and it's like he could like and there'd be balls going ever and all that. And he can just run one so easy. I'd say if, I'd be like if I was doing that now, there'd be carnage, there'd be chaos, yeah. there'd be balls all over the shop and all that. And he's just and the odd time it might break down and he just go, right, let's let's leave that and go to the next one. And I'm like, why did that now I'd be down myself and all that <laughs> He just has that ability to to be able to coach guys, be able to run drills so well. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and they just come back with a different abbreviation of it the following the following night and and run it off probably better. But uh, yeah, just some lads are just are really good at getting that and what the drill needs to be. I got a taste of your world last year in terms of the underdogs, but something that probably some people wouldn't be aware of. I got a taste of punditry. And uh, I was very fortunate to work with Don Logue, Davey, um, Rena. Um, I also worked with um, Brendan Marr um, and a few others. Michael Lester, which was absolutely amazing. Got to do the All-Ireland Final, Crow Park, the suit, the whole lot. Watch the game, analysis, punditry. Like, it's, it's such a, a different world uh, to, to play in. And when you're watching it and like there is different categories, you, like you said, you've your coach guys who think of these drills in their sleep and just love having a yeah. hundred cones and fellas running all over the place. There's managers. How did you find the punditry thing? Because like I've seen over the years, it doesn't suit everybody. Some people are really good on the radio doing punditry. Other people just don't have the personality for it. Like, did you find it tough? Do you watch yourself? That's something I want to ask you because I cannot watch myself. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. Um, and I know a lot of people listening are like, go out of that. You absolutely love watching yourself, but I don't. Like, did you find a tough transition over to being a pundit, per se? Um, I wouldn't say tough. It was definitely different. Um, 
just the logistics of it. I suppose it's you you have to be kind of watching everything. And even if you're not working this weekend, you'll have to be watching the games and see what's going on and who the new players are and all that. So there's a lot of time that people probably don't realise that goes into it. You have to be going up and seeing what's going on in the hurling world. Like even last weekend, Congress was hugely important from a, yeah. a perspective of what's going on with hurling at the minute and rules and structures and things like that. So it takes up an awful lot more time than I thought. Um, I suppose... I, re- I really do enjoy it. I don't watch myself back. I hate the sound of my own voice. So I just like, you know, it'll be and be. You have to have a thick neck and you have to realise that what you say, people, there's going to be a cohort that agree with you, don't agree with you, kind of agree with you, and people will let you know their opinions. And that's fine. That's what makes the world go around. I might say one thing, you might say the other way. Another lad might agree with both of us or not really, you know. So, But GA is in every facet of, of life. And... You like you could be in a shop in anywhere or having a cup of coffee and someone will let you know that they agree with you or don't agree with you. And it stimulates conversation and I love that. And some people are like, ah, oh, I thought you were you were hard on him or you weren't hard on you know that kind of way. And that that brings a good debate around and things like that. Um I suppose behind it all, I love hurling. I love talking about hurling, I love looking at it. Um, and that's essentially I always say punditry is like Talking about hurling in the pub with your friends, except you have to put on a suit and you have to mind your P's and Q's and do a good bit of research before. But I do enjoy it and it, it fills that void that the inter-county game leaves you to a certain extent. It keeps you involved in the game. And, you know, the Sunday game is, is such a, 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 a big profile of, of, of a show within the Irish TV and the Irish culture and I love you know being on it so yeah that's that's kind of it and look there's some great characters in it within it you know working with the likes of Anthony Daly working with Don Logue as I am this weekend just to even have their perspective of the mm. way they view the game and, and what's going on in their world and Claire and whoever, whoever you could be working on it's fascinating to, to hear them and even like this year like Joe Canning is part of the RTE I can't wait to work with Joe and even pick his brain of what he thinks of the game because he's literally just fresh out of it. Mm. And it's it's picking up nuggets of information from them of how they look at the game and, and, and see. Um, and it's fascinating to, to sit beside a guy and watch games of hurling and you'd see something and you'd think something and they might say a different view. Like, geez, I never even would have thought of that, you know? So it's it's it's... It's really interesting, but it's never more topical. If you think the amount of podcasts, the amount of columnists, the amount of exposure, there's going to be an extra game or an extra show on RT, which is great for the game that raises the profile of it, but it's never been more topical, which is great. It is, and I think, again, someone said to me, I, I was very fortunate last year outside of the, the underdogs and uh, winning Ireland's next top pundit. I actually got a contract as a commentator, something I've really? never done, and that was a completely experience, but someone said it to me and uh, I read it in a couple of articles of Marty Morrissey, the exact same thing you just said. You're watching a match, your friends can't see it, you're commentating for them, but the most important thing is to bring colour and bring passion because you can have all the big terms and you can have every big word that's out there and you can say, I know they're doing this s and I know they're doing that. Technically, he made 10 good runs. But if you're not passionate about it, mm-hmm. like you clearly are, you won't go anywhere. It's irrelevant. Um, and that's every facet of life. But like you said, Joe Cannon coming on board, Shane Dowling breathing a new bit of life in. Uh, you have the extra, extra Saturday game with Damian Lawler. And it is like, everyone will tell you, this time of year I love 
I know like the, the ground is a bit soft, but you have the Six Nations, the Premier League is currently running, football and hurling alliance leagues are on. Um, of course, you have Cheltenham coming up in March, and then you have championships starting to come in nice and early. Club championship takes a break. Hurling's 12 months of the year now between college games as well, and it's, it's brilliant. Like you said, it's absolutely brilliant. But what I ask you is the club scene. RT done it during I don't know just because it was locked during lockdown they showed a lot of co- uh, Cork County Club games I know there's private funding down there and stuff like that but it was brilliant to see and the, the company I'm with at the moment Clubber do brilliant work they, mm. after getting some uh, big games this year coming do you think there should be more of it like I, I, I'm not that far away from Kilkenny I've never been to a Kilkenny club game ever like I've right. been to I've been to All Ireland Club finals, Ballyhale, yeah. Ballygunner and so on. But like it's only across the water. I've been down to Wexford once. I've never been to Cork. But I can guarantee you if it was available for a fiver or a tenner, I'd watch yeah. it all day long, like. Yeah. And you're right, through lockdown I found myself watching streaming <laughs> games and Irish Examiner did a great one at the Cork Club thing yeah. and I I would love that. The more, the better. You know, the the appetite for a GA is huge. Um, and you're like yourself. I'd find myself if it was on. I I I like you look at some of the streaming of the Fitzgibbon was really really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, that the Clubber TV. I watched the um the Kilkenny Wexford game down in down in Wexford Park. Taggy and Martin Story on it. They were brilliant. Mm. So I'm all on for that. The more that we can do, the better. The more we can expose the club game, and we now have a window where club is on. Can we can we leverage that? Should we have looked strongly at a GA channel? I, I, this I like I've been thinking about this for a long time and in my own head we had Satanta Air had a pop at it. Like TG Car, I, I adore TG Car. Mm. But the thing is with TG Car is this nation is predominantly speaks English and it turns people off. It would yeah. turn off the percentage of people who aren't into GA. Do you know, like, yeah. for example, there's a game on this evening. Who's playing? Two brilliant teams for Kilkenny. James Stevens, Ballyhale. It's in Irish, though. I wouldn't bother watching that. And yeah. look, that's that's a, a, another issue. But I think there has to be a channel developed just for GA between mm. football and hurling. Like, the funding alone that would be made from it in terms of a profit, which could be, say, like Clubber, for example, yeah. Clubber get every championship. They come in with another brand and they get every championship. And the TV channel is called GA now. Like there is this online yeah. service. And say they take 90% of the profit, the other 10% is just pumped back into the club game or yeah. 20% is back into the club game. I think without doubt, there would be so much appetite for both football hurling and not just football hurling anymore, camogie also and ladies Gaelic football because the camogie game, I had um, Roisin Kerwin full forward for Waterford on last week. You'd want to see the development in camogie in Waterford at the moment. The Galtier versus Don De La Salle last year, John Milan's daughter came on actually. John was over De La Salle. You want to see the crowd that was at that. It was and yeah. the, the the level of hurling, like some of the players that day, Beck Carrington, Abby Flynn, um, Annie Fitzgerald, they were they, they get on any men's county team. They're unbelievable camogie players, mm-hmm. and there's such an appetite. And that's the really one good thing that the Waterford County Female County Board has done. They streamed every game. I done the intermediate final up in Bricky uh, between Bricky Rangers, Lismore, in the absolute pissing rain. I couldn't see the program. <laughs> the program talk about them. Um, I remember Marty Morrissey saying being up on a truck, you know, the first time he commentated. I was yeah. on the back of a truck in a monsoon where three programs disintegrated during the game for me. And uh, there's a couple of times during it you talk about watching back. I said, 
I don't know what happened, but the umpire just raised the white flag, so there's obviously a point that had to be scored. But they, they they done it so well, they streamed every game. It didn't matter if it was just a group game or and like that happens. Obviously, TJ Carr come in, they show Bally Gunner playing Mount Sion in a county final. And I get that. That's mm. that's the pinnacle and, and that's absolutely fine. But surely all the group stage games and senior intermediate like the intermediate down here is brilliant. It's gone premier now, like Tipperary. Like the level of hurling intermediate down in Cork is unbelievable. Over in Wexford, yourselves. Mm. Like there's, there's so much opportunity there for a GEA channel. Maybe it's something you can start yourself. I don't know if I did time, but <laughs> I think like GA Go is going from strength to strength. Is there <clears throat> excuse me, is there a universal body that we could bring all these people in together? club or amalgamated and have a, have a streaming service. Uh, there's definitely, like, which, what will be interesting now is that, <clears throat> so RT are bringing a second show on the Saturday game, which Damien is heading up. Originally, the Monday game that worked, that they put on, the numbers on that just, it didn't work at all. The numbers didn't yeah. support the demand for it. So it'll be interesting to see, has the game shifted enough that the numbers on the Saturday game Warrant the second show and that it, that it stands up. I I just think it's a different world now, <clears throat> and I think it will. I think it'll stack up. I think it'll be hugely beneficial. I think it'll work. Um, I think if you even think around Robin games with the Leinster and the Munster one, the amount of those that are going to go on. There's just so many games. Like a Sunday, the Sunday game show, people will be on about giving over. Ah, oh, you only give this team <laughs> two minutes on it. Like you're talking. 10, 15, 20 games over a two-hour show, it's just not possible to do them. So it will be interesting to see, and there will be learnings out of this Saturday game show, is the demand there now that wasn't there, we say, when the Monday game was there, I don't know, was it 20 years ago? And if there is, what can the GA leverage that for and do better, whether it's a club club scene, a club scene or whatever? But I think, I think it's a no-brainer, a GA channel. I really, really do. I, th- I think it's really interesting, the point you made there about the... Was the grow there? The Monday game wasn't there. Will the Saturday one be there? I think without being too disrespectful to the inter-county scene, teams like Limerick up here, okay, Kerry, Dublin up here, completely understand, not going to argue with that. A lot of the other teams are very similar levels. And what you can get sometimes of inter-county, especially, say, early on in Leinster or Munster, Waterford play Clare, both teams are hoping to not get humiliated or they don't want to get hammered so they both sit back and it ends up being a dead rubber mm. and you get a lot of dead rubbers for four or five weeks and that, that's yeah. that's understandable but maybe sometimes that's what the grow is not there for that yeah, someone might not good. you know but then what I would say is the club scene like you can't compare but there's just something so exciting about the club scene it's the mm. unknown it's the mm. you tune in like you said you put on a match and all of a sudden, some fella six foot something called Walter Well scores three goals, and you go, "Who's this fella? Why isn't he yeah. playing?" You know, yeah. or um, like for example, uh, there was a game. Who was it last year? There was one game or two years ago. Morris scored four twelve in a senior championship game in Waterford. Uh, I was doing umpire. My brother's referee. Oh my god, he could have he could have played hurling without the hurley that day. He was that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. just. But like. And then you read a news clip, right? And like, fair enough to Buff Egan does brilliant work and you'll get clips of games around the country, but there's not 32 Buff Egans or there's not 100 no. Buff Egans. No. And just just reading it on a piece of paper is doing no justice. Mm. And like, I'm not yeah. saying there shouldn't be paper columns and stuff like that, but in the, the era we live in, surely that should be accessible to see, like. Mm. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's, um, 
And like if you if you think I, I found through the lockdown and watching those games, I actually knew the following year, which I never know of we say say Tipperary would be playing someone, they'll bring a lad on, a new guy. I am like, Oh, who's this guy now? Must keep an eye on him. I actually knew a few of them from watching all the club games and they were they're obviously very prominent on them. So oh, I wonder will he get a go now with Tip or I wonder will he get a go at Cork next year and lo and behold, and you've 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 the education on it because you've you've seen it. And it was literally just click of a link and the examiner were running the free, the amount of games that were on, and we're obviously in lockdown. You'd nothing else to do. Two or three club games uh, uh, every Saturday. You know, I was going through bottles of wine watching these games. <laughs> but it was great. I was I was loving it, and uh, I remember my wife saying to me, "There's more hurling on now than there ever was." You know, I was just, it was, it was just great. You know, and there's something nice. I know this kind of might sound a bit wrong. There's something nice about the the amateur of it like as regards it wasn't flashy it was just a camera it was yeah. just someone had co-commentating some of the time he didn't even know all the players which I kind of <laughs> like you know what I mean so um, there's there's definitely something in that Seamus you're, you're, yeah. you're definitely on to a winner it's just about sitting down talking through it mapping it out how you do it then um, how do you roll it out across or across all the counties? Do you reach out to people that were, were doing them and bring them all in together? And then obviously the funding from it. Um, because, yeah, you're, you're looking at a split season now where inter-county is over in July and there's a long window there from July until you come back the following year till January. So um, it's it's we're, we're giving back at a bit of a window to other sports. So if we had the club thing, it's not going to dominate, but it's definitely going to keep us more relevant. Exactly, and I think uh, one thing that we didn't touch on there is people abroad. It's something like I was doing an intermediate game uh, last year, Port Law against Tramore and Waterford, and it wouldn't have been the highest viewed game in terms of subscription that was there. I think it was my fourth game of the day, talk about burnout, but uh, it was my fourth game of the day commentating, and I I was pretty ratty when I got to it, and the guy was there, and he had to set up, and he's like, Seamus, how are you? And I was like, yeah, great, yeah, smile, let's go. <laughs> And it was the best game of the year. It was up there with the All-Ireland final, just for drama. Yeah. Um, one team were ahead by 12 points. The other team came back and won by a point the last minute. And But just before the game, someone came over to me and said, would you mind saying hello? I have family in Australia and America. And I was like, watching this? And they were like, yeah. And you, you just forget about it. A local lad or a local woman that goes away has no connection to their GEA club. Yeah, you know, they can, they, can, they can watch their inter-county, you know, and yeah, on, on the RTE player and whatever. But to actually, like, sit there and be in the Philippines or America and Australia, have your club top on and be there calling me or you every day yeah, under yeah. the sun. But to be able to have that is amazing, like. Unreal, yeah. And, like, I, I, I'm sure for those people... God, I'd say it brings them home. It gives them that bit of emotional connection to go, God, there's Johnny and Mikey and I went to school with him or I went to school yeah. with his, his father or whoever the case may be. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You could be watching on a phone on a beach in Thailand there with a beer watching Port Lawn tomorrow. <laughs> Listening to Seamus Barry giving out who's ratty on his fourth game of the day. But is that brilliant? Do you know what I mean? And I think, again, like when you, when you bring everything we've talked about <laughs> as a collective, the whole point is to go about belonging to a club inter-county your pride passion it's all about a sense of belonging it's very parochial mm. and we, it's tribal and we absolutely love it it's in our DNA and that's what it really comes down to that you could put your hand up and say I'm from James Stevens. I'm from Kilkenny you know if if you were playing Gaelic football, I played for Ireland in the Aussie rules. There's just this pride, the badge on the chest. And it's something I think that club scene will bring. But um, 
I just want to, I'm conscious, you know, both our schedules and so on. I don't have four games today, thank God, but uh, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you for, for the last hour or so. And the, the passion, I was thinking earlier, would he ever get fed up of Harlan? Because I've seen it, like, you know, up close to the underdogs. I watched you for years. And I, I, I think at some stage, like, there is moments where we kind of phase out of it and go, oh, fuck, I wish you didn't have training today. I don't want to go up to Dublin and do a Sunday game today. I don't want to go down here listening to Anthony Daly or Don Logan or whoever it is. <laughs> but you just seem to have this well. Now, look, I know you have off days. You're human. But you seem to have this well. And your passion for the GEA, like, another man that I would measure you against is Liam Sheedy. Whenever you talk to Liam Sheedy about GEA, it just oozes out of him. And you're an absolute brilliant ambassador for the game on and off the field. Um, and I want to thank you for your time so much. And I wish you all the best. And the last question I'll ask you before you go, 2023 All-Ireland Champions. One word. Galway. Oh, Jesus. I didn't expect that. I, I had written down here in front of me. I wonder will he go with a surprise package. I didn't expect that now. Galway, go. Galway. Look, Jackie, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, hopefully, we we'll get to cross paths someday soon. Absolutely, Seamus. Thanks a million for having me. It was a pleasure chatting to you. Mind yourself. Take care. Take care. All the best. Cheers. Bye bye. Make sure to stay up to date with latest episodes on Spotify. For all media content, go to our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at I Loves My Club. By remember, hurling is our passion.